Welcome to the Rounds to Residency podcast, brought to you by Med School Coach. Each episode, get clinical rotation advice and tips to prepare for your externships and residency in healthcare. We interview preceptors and physician educators who will prepare you for your rotation and improve your clinical experience. Now, here's your host, Chase DeMarco. Today, we're joined by Dr. Barry Julius, who's the CEO of Dr. Resident Inc. and the chief editor at radsresident.com. So you can probably guess what specialty he's in. (laughs) So, Dr. Julius, thank you so much for coming on the show. It's a pleasure to be here. So what got you started with these projects with all you have a lot of radiology materials here and you really gear it toward it looks like for educational purposes, maybe for new residents, for new radiologists. How did this all come about? Originally, it was on a whim. I always wanted to do something with the internet. And so I never did anything with the web. And I, I decided, you know what, let me try something. And, and let me create a few blogs and see how it goes. So I created a few blogs. The focus has changed in the way from when I first started from now. It's definitely changed a bit. You know, I started with a little bit more about kind of the peripheral aspects of radiology. I've kind of gone more towards the day-to-day stuff in radiology. But when I first started, I sent it to my resident. My resident actually publicized it on Ant Mini. And it was very exciting. I got all these hits on there, and I wasn't like expecting it. And it was very, it was like a little bit of a thrill. And so, since then, I've just continued. It's been kind of like my daily habit. Every day, I write a little bit. What I like about it is that I wish I had all this information that I never had when I was applying for a residency. It would have been nice to have all this information, all the stuff that nobody wants to tell you, but is really true within the confines of radiology residency, whether it comes to applications or whether it comes to the actual residency process itself. So I've just continued on with it, and I've written over 400-something blogs, give or take. And I find it a lot of fun. I love the comments. People will talk to me and say, oh, this is your blog, and I really loved it, and it was very helpful. I find it to be very rewarding. It wasn't originally what I expected, but it's kind of stuck with me for a while. I've been doing this for almost five years now. So it's been a lot of fun. I really enjoy it a lot. I'm very jealous. I tried blogging for a while and just wasn't getting any feedback. I'm like, well, this is a lot of work for you know, not getting that positive <laughs> feedback. Not getting the comments and the appreciation for it and download stats. Like, do I really want to keep doing this forever? But I'm glad you've gotten a lot of success there. At the very beginning, I got that kind of rush of people that came aboard. And then what happened was it slowed down. Intermittently, I would get this other rush of people. It was just a lot of fun. It's certainly not my main career, but it's a lot of fun to do because I feel like I'm helping a lot of people. I think a lot of people really enjoy what I'm doing, especially foreign graduates, people that have, are coming from programs that you know, maybe DO programs. But all programs, I think there's some benefit to reading the materials. And again, if I had this material, I think I would have used it as well. I think it would have been very helpful. And so that's why I continue doing it just for the fun of it all. Nice. I'm guessing that the radiology specialty is pretty tight-knit then in that aspect, or there just wasn't really too many resources before, it sounds like. The reason why I think the blog kind of took off a bit and became somewhat you know more popular than I expected is because there's maybe one or two other blogs out there, but there's really not much from closely program directors point of view about what goes on in radiology residency, what goes on with applications, how does the process work? It's a more of a unique perspective. Most program directors don't want to put the time. It's time-consuming. It eventually gets to the point where I enjoy doing it. It's kind of become a little more turnkey, but it took a lot of time at the beginning to get everything going. And, you know, it's, and program directors are definitely don't have much time in general because I think the unique point of view that I have, and I think it kind of took off a bit from there. And that's how I've continued, you know, why I've just I've been able to continue with it. I think it's been fairly popular. I like it. Well, then it sounds like you're probably one of the 
most perfect individuals to have on this show then since we're talking about different specialties and talking about rounds and residency and this has sort of been your forte for several years you must have a lot of useful insights and advice to give to potentially those looking for especially a radiology residency but i think the first question really to ask since it's the icebreaker question is what are some of the big challenges facing radiology residents i know this year but also maybe next year since you seem to also forecast these things you know it's interesting there's a lot of hubbub about the new boards and what that's going to mean for radiology i guess it's really for all specialties but in radiology in particular we tend to use that because there's a high correlation the, the boards because we tend to use it high correlation between that and the core exam i actually don't like either of the exams you read my blogs you'll see that i'm not a big fan of either of the exams but unfortunately there is a big correlation between the two. So program directors are more apt to pick people that are going to have high board scores because those people are going to be more likely to pass the core examination. And those people, then you're not going to get citations and you'll, you know, you'll, everyone will be happy. And that's the reason why it's kind of taken on a life of its own. Since the step one boards are no longer going to be scored, they're going to be pass-fail, it's going to really pass the torch, I believe, to step two. So step two is, I think, going to become that much more important this year, and especially in radiology. It's very different than some of the other residencies, family practice or OBGYN, but in, in radiology residency, it takes on a different life, I think, of its own because those scores are one of the few ways one can discriminate between different people and also correlate with how people are going to actually pass the boards afterwards. So unfortunately, I think that's what's going to happen. I think the step one will be no longer, everyone's going to pass it, but the step two is going to be the part that's going to become much more important. When they get rid of the step two, now that'll be interesting <laughs> because that will really change everything. But for now, I think that's what's going to happen over the short term. Okay. Yeah. It seems like something I've discussed with many people in the past is that step one didn't seem to show any correlation to anything except for higher step three or board exams later on. So there's always been that disconnect. And what are we actually teaching with that? So I think that going to pass fail is probably going to be beneficial and less stressful for a lot of people. It's interesting that you say that because I think it's actually going to hurt certain types of people because the folks that are coming from less competitive schools, the folks that are coming from DO programs, from foreign schools, we don't have as much to compare them to people that are coming from you know, well-known schools. So if someone comes from abroad, what do you use? How do you know how good the school is? So one of the things that it will do is it will say, okay, I'm not really sure anymore. How good is this candidate? And then we're losing a data point on those people. So you're maybe more likely to take someone from an American school that's better well-known than a school that's not as well-known. Now, our institution here, we take a lot of people from St. George's, which is, a, we love St. George Red. We love a lot of our foreign residents that come here. But unfortunately, a lot of places and a lot of program directors don't really know, you know what's good, what's not good. And so it falls to the board. So when you take away the boards, I think you're taking away some of the opportunities to get into residencies for people. It's just a way to be able to kind of say, okay, this person is going to make it through a residency you're taking away that data point. And from the radiology standpoint, which is a bit more competitive than some of the other specialties, it'll make a big difference, I think. And that's the problematic part of it. I think for people that are in American medical schools, probably not as much of a difference as it will be for people that are coming from other medical schools. It will change the game a bit. It'll be kind of interesting. Hmm, interesting. Yeah, I seem to hear a lot of changes going on with the international medical graduates, just with the number that are first off students, the number that are applying for residency, the number that make up the physician workforce is quite substantial. But yeah, like you said, it seems like only certain, maybe certain schools have preferences at locations or their students have an easier time than 
maybe some of the smaller schools that are coming from the same area, which actually is one that I went to. So <laughs> I know that one very well. <laughs> from my perspective as a residency director, I see things a little bit different from some of the programs that are larger. A lot of the programs that come from you know, people that come from living schools or foreign schools or DOs, a lot of those people do better than some of the American grads because I think they feel like feel like second-class citizens. I feel like they have to do better during their residency. And, you know, we've had a great experience with our, you know, people that have come from foreign schools. So, and I think there's a lot of pressure nowadays on residency, and even at, you know, at many institutions where they want to take people from Ivy League schools because it brings up their stats. But, you know, from a realistic point of view, from actually a quality resident point of view, I think there's no real good correlation between the quality of the school and the quality of the resident that comes in. It really has very little to do with one another. But unfortunately, that's the world we live in, so <laughs> we have to deal with. Very true. Yeah, the school doesn't make the students, but especially when it seems like a good chunk of medical education is you know, self-directed learning, independent studies anyway, the school doesn't necessarily have a strong correlation to it. Do you know students looking for a clinical rotation outside of their school's network? Students can reach out to preceptors nationwide and schedule their own rotations. You can even refer a friend and earn credit towards your future rotations. Go to findarotation.com for more information. That's Find a Rotation, your medical and healthcare clinical rotations platform. All right. I guess we should probably start discussing some of the really important interview tips and tricks. I know there's been a lot of differences in this past year, and you know, next year is probably going to be significantly different. So what do you project is going to be some of the most important do's and don'ts for next year's residency match for radiology? I've actually written an article about how the changes and how that's actually going to affect what I think is going to affect interviews. I think what's going to happen now that, you know, hopefully we'll see a bit of the COVID issues winding down by this time. I hope that the next year we'll be able to have people that, you know, come, come in and not have to worry about it as much. But I think what's going to happen is I think the Zoom is actually going to stick. I believe that the Zoom is not going away. But I think what we're going to see is we're going to see a lot of people coming in for second looks, much more than before. And I think that's the second look is going to become kind of the second interview for both our point of view as well as other programs' point of view. It's going to be the way to figure out, okay, is this program really right for me? Because anyone could nowadays, because it's so easy and cheap, you don't have to travel anywhere. There's no time to go to interviews. So how do you know what's really like? And you kind of miss out on what it's the actual, whether it's esprit de corps. You're kind of missing out on all that whole culture of the place. And the only way to know what it's like is to go there. So I think people are going to apply to a lot of places, but then the places that they're really interested in, a lot more people are going to go and do these second looks and actually going to go to those places. So you're going to see lots of people do Zooms, and but you're going to also see an increase in the number of second looks. Barely anybody in the past has done People that have done them, usually the people that you want that do the second looks are the people that are kind of marginal or the people that are really, really not sure. But I think that's going to change. I think you're going to see a lot more common. And the Zoom is going to be kind of the screening tool for a lot of programs. You know, I will see what happens, but I believe that's going to really change. It's going to be very different to see than years past, even from last year to this year, because now we're able to travel places and we'll be able to not have to worry as much about, you know, catching COVID on the way there. So I think that's going to change a lot. Yeah, it seems even for business aspects, for interviews, for different, you know, occupations, it's all moved to digital now. And I don't think that's ever going to go away now that it's been so firmly embedded in the system everywhere. But it does make sense to do initially a Zoom interview and kind of weed out some there. And then it also, in the end, save a lot of students the time and energy and expense of traveling to a lot of places when really they didn't have a chance anyway. They weren't going to 
you know, mesh well with that program or that individual. So it'll probably be a slightly longer process in general, but still much cheaper and easier than it has been in past years. And it's interesting because the other thing that's happened and you probably know is that you've gotten to this point where everyone, because it's so much easier and not a big deal to get interviews, people have been much more apt to, to apply to multiple places. So in the past, you've had, you know, you may have had the person apply. I think when I applied, I may have applied to 10 places. But, but now it's like you get people that apply 40, 50, 60. It's not uncommon to have, you know, because what's the big, what's the harm in doing so? So you kind of have this new dynamic. There's definitely going to be, I think, more interviews. But I think people that are really interested are going to go to the second look type of thing because I think that's going to become the more the norm than the exception. So that's my general outlook for the coming year. Yeah, I, th- I think I totally agree with your outlook there. That seems to be a good change, maybe a necessary change that should have happened before, possibly. But It's very expensive. You're going to go to California, come back. I mean, it, it, you, can, you can run up, you know, thousands of tens of thousands of dollars. So. Yeah, and especially when a lot of students are still doing rotations at the time, just the scheduling aspect is difficult. I remember a lot of stories having to leave mid-rotation and fly somewhere. Plus the debt. I mean, you know, nowadays you know, people come two, three, four, five hundred thousand dollars in debt. Why, you know, making your lives are miserable, right? Yeah. <laughs> Trying to get you know, getting in the hole, you know, it doesn't really help to add to that. Agreed. More stress, more debt. Not needed. <laughs> yeah. No. <laughs> well, all right. So specifically for radiology, what do you think are some qualities in the individual that make them a good match? And you have personal experience with this as a program director. If you look at essays, I've written a little bit about this. You see a lot of people talk about where's Waldo and, you know, like a lot of that is it's actually radiology I found is actually not, I mean, obviously you need to have some baseline ability to visualize things and to be able to find things. I find that radiology is a lot more that it's really, A, we have more reading than most other specialties. So when you're doing radiology, you're not just doing OBGYN, you're not just doing neurology. It's really almost every single specialty. I don't see too many derm, I guess melanomas we see. Maybe less psychiatry, but again, we do some patients for psychiatry. We almost overlap with every specialty. So the gamut of knowledge that one needs is extremely large. So people that do really well like to read a lot. People, people that read a lot do very, very well, that are able to focus and sit down. And Because we read X number of films in any given day, you have to have that focus to be able to sit down and do that. Those people are going to be very successful. People that are, are able to organize themselves. When people come in and they're all scattershot at all the places and they can't come up, with a specific diagnosis, those people are going to have more problems than people that can actually laser focus on specific things that they're looking for. We also want people that are able to communicate. I mean, you'd think that radiologists are a bunch of people in the back office somewhere until you actually take a rotation and you see that, no, that's not the case. But you know, when I have to pick up the phone and talk to doctors all the time, they have to understand that what's going on. They have to be able to describe all the things, all the findings to them. So we want people that can communicate. We also want to be able, because we could be sitting next to somebody for hours at a time, we want to make sure that we're actually compatible with those people. So these are some of the things that we're looking for. It's not, you know, you may think that it's, how radiology is much more important than it's ever been before. You know, we do think more work from home, but at the same time, it almost becomes more important for us to be able to understand what's going on with the patients and being able to communicate with everybody else. Because if you can't do that, you're not going to help the patient, which is the ultimate point of being a radiologist. So those are some of the things that we're looking for right now. And people when they come to our program. It's more than just, you know, being able to, to, to sit. I mean, we do need people that can pass the boards and do all this, but it's also some of that can actually be able to communicate with others. People that don't communicate well have a very hard time in radiology residency. So strong reader, long-term focused, good communicator. Okay, so I'm screwed on this one. Um. <laughs> <laughs> 
<laughs> Not that my grades would have been good enough for that anyway, but radiology is a very competitive specialty. So, <laughs> all right. So there are many different options in radiology that students are probably not aware of because you just mentioned something I find very important. Most students are never going to have a clinical rotation in radiology. So they don't even know what really the field is and what the other options are. Uh, you just mentioned telerotations and there's different fellowships and subspecialties. And could you get a broad overview of some of the different aspects that uh, students possibly considering radiology might be able to look into? Well, that is a big problem, especially in, in times of COVID, where people have not been able to get their radiology rotations in. So how does one actually know what they want to do? What I would recommend before having to, you know, before jumping to anything is to try to get to try to actually, if you can't get that experience, try to do it like an observership or try to trail a radiologist because you want to be able to know what you're getting into before you're doing that. But within radiology, there's so many different specialties. There's so many different areas that one can go into, some with more patient contact, some with less patient contact. You know, if you want to go into interventional radiology or mammography, you're going to be seeing lots of patients every single day. You're going to be talking to people. Yet, if you're going to do MSK, I can find a job for you somewhere where you're going to have very little to do with patients. So, Or you can have a job where you're doing lots of things. There's so much one of the biggest aspects of radiology is really the flexibility that we have. It's a very, very flexible job where there's lots of different options for careers later on when you get out. It just You can go into business. You can go into... It's just a very, very wide range of things that you can do. You can see lots of patients. You can pretty much do anything that you can think of. It's a very, very flexible specialty. I like it. And it seems like going into maybe your own imaging center, owning your own imaging center is a great side gig that a lot go into. You have to remember... so. I've heard about this too, but we always talk about owning your own imaging center. So in order to own your own imaging center, you can't do that. It's not something that you can do by yourself. It's not like you can pick up and buy an imaging center by yourself. It's, you know, millions of millions of dollars. So typically we have partnership tracks. So people that will, are interested in owning an imaging center will have to go into this process called sweat equity and build up their, you know, build up the equity in the practice, eventually become an owner of a practice as well. It's very, very difficult unless you're like have a lot of banking economic skills and and finance skills, it's very difficult to start up a practice on your own. You also need the networking, you need to be able to get patients into your fold, and that's not so easy. And so if, unless you're like in the middle of nowhere, it's going to be very difficult to start up a practice from scratch. And that's kind of a misnomer that a lot of people say, oh, I'll, I'll start up a practice. It's kind of, it's kind of hard to do that. It takes a lot of work. But it's also very, very financially intensive, I should say. Okay, got it. Yeah, it seems like that's something you hear about a lot is getting your own imaging center, but machines are expensive. So yeah. can imagine partnerships is probably a good way to go about that. All right, then it might be a good idea to get some of your last minute pearls of wisdom. Sure. So, you know, definitely when you're applying for radiology, you need to make sure that you know what you're getting into before you're getting into it as best as you can. As I mentioned before, definitely trying to see what it's like, you know, talk to a radiologist, see what they do for any given day. Go and follow around the interventionalists and see how do they operate. One of the things that I find in most people when they're in radiology, or I should say when they're in medical school, they don't get to actually see what actually transpires in every given specialty until they actually practice there. So you really need to make an extra concerted effort to go out there and to kind of see what people do to get an idea of what is it something that you really want or not. I mean, most people have some sort of inkling when they get to medical school, okay, this might be what I want. And they may have, maybe they have like a list of three, four, five things. But the only way to know for sure is to actually go out there, 
I actually got lucky because when I was in medical school, I did radiology. I didn't really follow somebody around or trail somebody around to see what it's like, but I did enjoy the specialty a lot. I got lucky because it was something that I really enjoyed doing. But I think if you want to increase the odds of doing something you love, see what it's really like. Sometimes it's very different from what you see in medical school. What you may see, you know, when you're sitting on a, doing hospital work for an internal medicine doctor, it's very different from what people do in private practice. Or when you're sitting and doing radiology, it may be not what you're going to do eventually. Maybe you want to do teleradiology. Maybe you want to do eventually you're working with a diagnostic radiology. Get out there and try to ask people you know, to show you what, what it's like. Sit with somebody for a little bit. It may be a pain in the neck for, you know, to find somebody, but it will be well worth it in the end because you'll have that experience. Okay, I really want to do this. And then you can kind of set your goal to getting towards the goal of getting into radiology residence, doing the research, all the other stuff that you need to do that. So if there's one advice for somebody, an applicant that's coming in there, I think that would be a big one. Try and figure out what they actually do before making that final decision about doing it. Great tips. You really got to forge your own path and do a lot of research beforehand. All right. So besides radsresident.com, are there any other places that the audience can find you? Well, I'm at St. Barnabas Medical Center. So if you look on the website, on the St. Barnabas site in New Jersey, Robert Johnson, St. Barnabas, I'm over there. But the Rads Resident, you know, if someone wants to contact me, the best way to contact me would be through Rads Resident. I always answer questions. I have a section called Ask the Residency Director. And if you have any questions, I'm happy to ask them. I usually I post a lot. Of, if there's a really interesting question, I'll, I'll post it online and make my answer for it. But yeah, so definitely encourage anybody that's interested in radiology, give me an email, send me a line, and I'd be happy to contact you. Dr. Barry Julius, <laughs> I, I want to thank you so much for coming on the show today and sharing all of your great experience. And I really hope that the audience can find some great value from your resources that we'll have in the show notes as well. Much appreciated. The Rounds to Residency podcast is powered by MedSchool Coach. To access MedSchool Coach services, like USMLE tutoring or residency admissions advising, visit our website at medschoolcoach.com. Good luck as you prepare for your board exams, and we hope you tune in again next time. <laughs>